You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Closing in on game day, East Carolina and Houston. We're here to give you our final podcast preview as we break down the matchup between the Pirates and the Cougars. 2 p.m. kickoff. We finally get a solid afternoon kickoff time inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Heading into what should be a fun one. Should be an interesting game. Houston is an interesting team, much like East Carolina is an interesting team. We will get into this matchup, what to expect, two of the top quarterbacks in the American Athletic Conference, Holton Aylers and Clayton Toon going at it on Saturday. So it should be a high-scoring affair. I think the over-under set at 66.5 total points between the two teams. So looking at probably both teams cracking the 30s at least or that's what Vegas is projecting Houston averaging 46 and a half points scored <clears throat> over their last four games so they can put in the end zone now they do give up a lot of points and but they're also really talented on defense like it's 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 weird um and I'll get into that some of the the grades from pro football focus do not match the numbers that they're allowing on defense we'll talk about that before the podcast concludes, we've got a ton of questions on Twitter, and I want to get to those. We've got 20. That'll basically carry us through this show, um, as we often do when it's just me riding solo. So basically, I'm talking to you guys. I am a little bit under the weather, in case you can't tell, with my nasally, more nasally than normal voice. So going to try to get through this and uh, <clears throat> power through. I guess I could be like Dana Holgerson and... <sighs> clear my throat before every uh, before every answer, but I, uh, that's incredibly annoying, so I'm not going to do that. If you want to experience that, just watch this press conference on the Houston Cougars website. Um, it is Dana Holgerson week, and you got to wonder if his players are able to, to eat enough to uh, function on Saturday. You know, they're coming to Greenville, North Carolina. They're traveling may not be able to get enough food for all their travel squads, so I am a little concerned about that. Hopefully none of their players starve to death on the field. May have to bring some um, some canned foods to Dottiefelkin Stadium. May have to hold a food drive on Saturday just in case uh, they can't get enough food. Yeah, Anybody who doesn't understand that reference, look it up. Dana Holgerson, East Carolina food on your Google search, and it will come up. 
but he has not made himself very fond to ECU fans. So the Pirates would like to send him and the Cougars to the Big 12 with a victory on Saturday. I'll get into my prediction in a little bit. Again, about to hit your questions, but I do want to talk some hoops. We can't ignore the 3-0 start by Mike Schwartz's team. They rally yet again on Wednesday night, 82-73 victory over the Hampton Pirates. They were trailing by 17 with 16, I believe, 52 to go in the game. It looked bleak, uh, much like the first two games looked bleak, but got to give Schwartz and his team a lot of credit. They're finding a way to rally, to make the adjustments needed. and I know definitely he's getting frustrated Look, listening to his press conferences after the game. He he knows it's it's not sustainable. This is the weakest part of the schedule. It's about to get much tougher starting Monday at the Gulf Coast Showcase in Florida. <clears throat> you're going to play Indiana State to begin with, and you're going to play you know, Toledo most likely if you win, which is an NCAA tournament caliber team. So you can't be spotting teams 15, 20 points. But we also have to remember, A, this is a first-year coach, and B, this is an incredibly young basketball team. And I think the positive thing is we are seeing these massive surges in these games, and we are seeing flashes of really good talent. I would be very concerned if the team was just kind of playing ho-hum average all the time. But the thing that gives me the most hope is when they are operating at, I guess, peak efficiency or a really good high operating level, we're seeing some high basketball play, which would lead one to believe if this team ever comes together, figures it all out, gets healthy, that they've got some real pieces. You know, they're not just trudging their way to a 3-0 start. They actually have had stretches of very high-level shooting, very high-level defense. There are certainly weaknesses on this team. We've talked about the lack of experience, and that is a concern. You know, the lack of a rim presence defensively, I think, is really going to hurt in the American because you can only chase the three-point line so much when you don't really have a backup rim protector. <clears throat> I think when Sierra Milonga and when Coach Schwartz gets his his true team in here, personnel-wise, you'll see ECU be a lot more aggressive on the three-point line because they know if they get beat off the dribble, there will be a rim protector at their back. So I think that's kind of the ideal scenario. That's what Tennessee has had in the past. And But you got to recruit. you got to get that. Right now the Pirates don't really have that. They do have a seven-footer in Luigi DeBoe, but I wouldn't say he's quite a rim, rim protector. So we'll see if Malonga can be that guy. He just signed 6'11", big man, uh, signed this past week. So <clears throat> big addition there. And, you know, we'll see. 3-0 and start. They've, they've beaten the teams they should have beaten. I still think the Mercer win will turn out to be a pretty quality win. They went to Georgia State, almost won in overtime, fell just short there. And we all know how good Georgia State historically is in basketball. Typically a fringe tournament team, NIT team, playing in the CBI, playing somewhere. They're a quality quality program. So I think that uh, I think this team has some potential. There are going to be growing pains. We've seen a lot of that. I think that's going to continue. And, uh, you know, we'll find out a lot more about this team as they go on the road here for four games, starting with three games at the Gulf Coast, Sho- Gulf Coast Showcase on Monday afternoon against Indiana State. So we'll talk more hoops next week. Let's transition now back to football. Actually, before we do that, I do want to say if you're uh, if you're a fan of our you know post-game videos, whether it be... Uh, press conferences, that sort of stuff. Please give us a, a a thumbs up and a subscribe on YouTube. We are trying to get our YouTube numbers up. 
I am planning once this football season comes to an end to start live streaming our podcast. That way we can get more live interaction um, with the fans and you guys don't have to submit your questions over Twitter. You can submit them live on the podcast. I already have a backdrop set up, so I just need to continue to set that up and haven't had the time in season. So I'm hoping once football season concludes, leading into the bowl game, we'll have time to set that up. So Go ahead and give us a subscribe on YouTube. Uh, we've already got a lot of followers on Twitter and Facebook, but our YouTube pages, we're, we're trying to YouTube page, we're trying to get that up as well. So when we do start going live stream, you guys are notified and um, can hop on, and we can get that interaction up. And that way, the show is is more prominent in front of more people and more interaction. The better the show is going to be. So get, do that while you can. All right, let's transition to football and let's get into your questions. We got a lot. We we got a lot of questions. Really appreciate you guys um, for for uh, interacting on Twitter. And it's going to be a uh, it's going to be an interesting game Saturday. I really think you're seeing two of the better teams in the American, whatever the records show. The Pirates, of course, probably should have beat Cincinnati on the road. We talked about that one on Sunday. It's a frustrating game, Houston. Much like ECU, just a couple of plays away from having a much better record. Lost in double OT at Texas Tech. Lost to Kansas in a competitive game. Lost to Tulane in overtime. And they just couldn't stop SMU. But they put up 63 points in a loss. So this is a good team. Uh, Somebody asked me on Twitter. I can't remember the exact question here. Yeah, I feel like this Houston team is better than most things. And are we overlooking them? Charlie says on Twitter, I, I don't think ECU as a team is overlooking Houston. I think the fan base, you know, does it matter if the fan base overlooks a team or not? I don't want to say the fan base is overlooking them. I do think they are underestimating them a little bit. And I think a lot of that has to do more with the storylines this week of it being senior day. You know, us as media, we get so wrapped up into what is the most important story. What do people want to read about the most? And no offense to the game itself. And on Saturday and and obviously starting with this podcast, the game comes to the forefront. But the most, the the story that people want to know about and want to read about is, is, are the seniors. They want to know about the guys who have poured their, their heart their soul, their tears into East Carolina University and have, have led this thing to a turnaround. So I've spent several items um, this week on on that rather than game previews. And so that's kind of built a lot of the buzz about Holton Naylor's. We've talked about Miles Berry, Xavier Smith, some of the transfers that will be playing their final game. Again, when you have senior day, with all this COVID stuff, the fan base also wants to know, hey, who's going to walk that's not a senior but has eligibility left? They're going to leave that on the table. Is anybody going pro early? That sort of stuff. So those are the storylines that the fans want to know. So I feel like almost the game from our perspective has taken a little bit of a backseat. And as a result, maybe we're not talking about Houston as much as we should. Also, this stems from the fact that East Carolina – Lost to Cincinnati, therefore, is basically out of the conference championship race. Technically, they are mathematically still alive, but crazy things would have to happen. So it makes the game a little bit less important in that regard because you're not playing for a conference championship. The game is still clearly very important. I'm not trying to say it's not. I'm trying to say from our perspective why we are covering things a certain way. Either way, I do think, to get back to your question, Charlie, 
that Houston is a much better team than 6-4 and four suggest. Much like I think East Carolina is a much better team that 6-4 and four suggests. We could easily be having a game here between two 8-2 and two teams that were in the top 25. But a few plays here, a few plays there broke a certain way. There were some key injuries on both sides, which we'll get into throughout the course of the season that have cost both these teams at times. And so you have kind of an interesting matchup where probably both the teams feel like they should have better records than they do. And that does make this a key game. And to me, I do think with the way Houston's playing defensively, the Pirates have the edge. You know, anytime you get into November, you know, scoring points is good, but more times than not, you need defense and you need stops late in the season. It's very rare you get into these somewhat cold weather November games and and you have 77-63 scores. You know, that game was in November at SMU, but in Dallas, it's probably pretty warm. You know, the later you get into the calendar, typically the the the, the less scoring goes on. So I feel like with Houston coming across the country, playing at ECU, the Pirates have an advantage here. But I do think Houston is certainly capable. And if if you if you look at pro football focus, Houston is one of the more interesting teams that that is out there. They according to PFF rank 15th nationally in team overall grade. <clears throat> and these grades are essentially calculated upon based on each player's individual performances. So what that says is more times than not Houston's players as a t- you know as individual players are winning their one-on-one battles, <clears throat> whether it be blocks at the line of scrimmage, getting pressure, making plays offensively, that sort of stuff. They're typically making those plays, but for whatever reason, whether it be you know another team's great play, turnover margin, which they're rank, they rank near the bottom of the country in turnover margin, hidden yardage on special teams. Um, if, for example, if you're playing zone defense and your job as a corner is to keep the play in front of you but play soft coverage, if the opposing team's completing the seven to eight yard pass again and again, you're not necessarily going to grade out bad, but that just has to do more with your scheme than individual play. So what this says to me is Houston, as far as talent, is as good as anybody in the conference. I mean, 15th nationally, basically, in, in PFF grade. Now, a lot of that has to do with their offense, their offense is very good, but it's not like their defense has been grading out that bad over the last few weeks. In fact, they've graded out above average in most of those games. Now, they've had serious issues covering people. They've had issues at times tackling people. And one area, though, they they are really good in and they are a lead in is their pass rush. They rank first among any team at the FBS level in pass rush efficiency per pro football focus. So, again, pass coverage has been a major issue, but they can get after the quarterback. It starts with DeAnthony Jones, number 44. He's got 42 pressures in 10 games. He had uh, nine pressures alone against Temple. He's only got five sacks, but he's got 34 hurries, three hits on the quarterbacks, five sacks. So look for ECU to double-team him a lot. And the crazy thing is, he wasn't even their best pass rusher to begin the year. Derek Parrish was on track to become the American Athletic Conference Player of the Year after four games. He already had six sacks through the first four games. He was lost for the year due to injury. And 
imagine if you still had Paris and Jones, one guy on each end, and they still got other quality pass rushers. Atlius Bell and Nelson Caesar are two really good edge guys, and they got some other guys as well who can get after the passer. But this is a team that is is better than what it seems, and that's definitely the case defensively. Like offensively, the, the numbers match up. Defensively, they're somehow giving up 37 points a game despite having some of the best pass rushers in college football. And again, I haven't watched every Houston game. Uh, maybe it's scheme. Maybe it's just lack of talent in the secondary, so they're scheming to try and keep plays in front of them. They did lose two NFL corners, and that has really taken a hit on their defense. Last year they had the corners and these pass rushers, so it was almost impossible to move the football on them through the air. This year they've got the pass rush, but they don't have the pass defense. They rank near the bottom of the country. I think 129th in, in passing yards given up. So, again, vulnerabilities there, but the Pirates are going to have to play solid to win on Saturday. All right, our next question comes from uh, Ethan Long. He says, what are our bowl projections looking like? If we went out, just check NC State's schedule with Louisville and UNC, and if they drop even one, is it possible for us to see the Wolfpack in a bowl game? You know, it's possible, but doubtful. The Bulls typically like to avoid the in-season rematch. They want to get kind of a fresh matchup, but I would not rule it out 100%. I would just say it's doubtful. Uh, Bowl projections overall, they're all over the place. And the American has four primary bowl tie-ins, two of which are the Fenway Bowl and the Military Bowl. Those would be against ACC opponents. The other two... Primary tie-ins are the Armed Forces Bowl in Texas and the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. So those four bowls have to be filled by American teams. And then you've got the secondary bowls, which comprise a bunch of them, and there can be kind of some trading, essentially, behind the scenes. But more than likely, I would assume ECU, unless there's a bunch of trading uh, that goes on amongst teams, would end up in one of those four primary bowls more than likely the American champion, whether it be UCF, Tulane, Cincinnati, is going to go to the Access Bowl, or the Cotton Bowl, whatever whatever major bowl game it is as a result of winning the American. And then there will be a trickle-down effect. So if you're the Fenway Bowl or you're the Military Bowl, you know, those, those bowls might want Cincinnati. You know, the Fenway Bowl might want Cincinnati, but then if Cincinnati goes to the big bowl game, then they've got to settle for another team like in East Carolina or uh, pull from a team from Texas or whatever. So typically a lot of these bowls are regionalized, but with these bowl games in Fenway, D.C., uh, you've also got the, the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth and then the Independence Bowl in Louisiana, you might have a case where, you know, you, you can't regionalize every game. So you may have some random matchups. But, you know, I would think – if you're the Fenway Bowl or Military Bowl, ECU is pretty high on your list because of the proximity of ECU and also the fact that really no other American team besides maybe Cincinnati is in your region. Navy and Temple would be possibilities, but neither of them are bowl eligible. Uh, then you've got the secondary bowls where, again, the American is kind of affiliated with these bowls. It's a possibility if they need somebody. Again, you can work out a trade. Uh, so you've seen ECU mentioned with the Boca Raton Bowl, Bowl uh, the Cure Bowl, some, the Birmingham Bowl, also the Gasparilla Bowl. 
you know, personally, I would love to see ECU in a Florida Bowl for weather purposes. But from a matchup perspective, you're probably going to get your best matchups in the Fenway Bowl or the Military Bowl, uh, perhaps in the Gasparilla Bowl, um, which says it could be the American versus the ACC, Pac-12, or SEC. So a lot of this just depends on who is bowl eligible, what are the teams, you know, I've gotten some questions. Will we know early? It seems doubtful because you've got so many teams in play with the top of the American right now. Um, but, it, you know, it is, it's a possibility if things play out. But more times than not, you've got to wait till after the conference championship weekend. Last year was kind of an aberration. They were able to release the military bowl so early as far as ECU being included in it. All right, our next question comes from Christian Bateman. He says, what is the next step this program needs to take to elevate itself beyond the goal of conference championships? Since the quality of teams in our conference is going to be absolutely horrific, what game are we most likely to play in on your opinion? Are you asking what bowl game? Otherwise, I don't really understand the question. Christian, um, I'm going to say you're asking what bowl game. I think Fenway or military um, ends up being the choice for ECU. Uh as far as what the program needs to do to elevate itself beyond the Gulf Conference Championships, well, first they got to win a conference championship. You know, we can talk about is the American going to be down? And yes, initially, you're going to take a step back. You can't lose programs like UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, replace them with UTSA, North Texas, and Rice, and expect it to be the same level of play across the board. Now, what ECU needs to do is go out and win a conference championship in the next two to three years at least and kind of establish itself as, hey, we've been here. This is our conference. Maybe we're ready for something bigger. But the goal right now is to win a conference championship, potentially put together, you know, 11-1, and 12-1 season and put yourself in the mix for an access bowl or put yourself in the mix for a college football playoff. I mean, that's the thing is the college football playoff is going to expand. Is it a bad thing that ECU – on paper, will be in a much easier conference, but still a conference that is recognized as of right now as the best, quote-unquote, group of five conference. In that case, you may have an easier path to the college football playoff as the highest-ranked group of five conference champion as opposed to being one of the worst teams in the ACC or Big 12. You know, the real reality is if Houston plays football like it does this year or if UCF was in the Big 12 or Cincinnati was in the Big 12 this year, they would not be in the top 25, in my opinion. I don't think they would have the records they, they have. I think a lot of that is a, a product of their schedule to a certain extent. Clearly, they are really good programs. Uh, they're, they're good football teams, but would they be, you know, only have one or two losses right now if they were playing Texas, Texas Tech every week and West Virginia and some of these schools going on the road to Baylor? I don't think so, personally. So... All of a sudden, if you're ECU, instead of always complaining about, hey, we're in this crappy conference, well, how about we go out and win the conference first if you're ECU? And then you can talk about how you're in this crappy conference. If you're dominating the conference and you're in the mix for a, an access bowl or a, group, or a group of five playoff spot, then you can talk about, hey, maybe we should move up. But until you do that, trying to elevate yourself like you're above the league that you've never won I don't think that's a realistic possibility you got to go out and win a conference championship first starting next year you want to prove that you're ready for that go out and do it on the field I mean it's that simple ECU has not won a conference championship since 2009 
That's over a decade, so long way to go before you can start thinking about that. All right, Preston says, what have you heard or seen from practice about the probability, abilities, or concerns that Mason Garcia is going to be the starting quarterback next year? Do you think he will get playing time to pass the ball in these final games, and how much will that really help? All right, I got a lot of Mason Garcia questions. I'm going to knock them out all right here. First, what do I think Mason Garcia will do these final three games? I think it'll be similar to what we saw Mason Garcia do last year, special packages, certain situations, basically the Mason Garcia package in the red zone. I do think, you know, from my perspective, that's all well and good. It's good to get him that experience in a live game. I don't think that really helps that much going into next year. You know, there's a difference between going in and running a few design plays that you've been working all week on in practice versus going in, seeing true live bullets, making adjustments on the fly, making reads on the fly. So unless Mason goes in there and and basically orchestrates an entire series or two in these final three games, I don't think it helps him a ton for next year. It helps him a little bit, but nothing's going to prepare you for what you're going to see in the season opener at Michigan, no matter how much he plays. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be the biggest atmosphere an ECU quarterback has played in in years. So, um, certainly in an ideal world, you could play him an entire game or two here down the stretch. But then you would be doing a major disservice to a Holton Aylers, b to the entire team for getting to this point. You still have a lot to play for. You've got a chance to have a nine-win season for the 12th time in program history. You've got a chance to beat Houston for the first time in a decade. You've got a chance to go win a bowl game for the first time in nearly a decade. So there's a lot to play here for for the senior class, for a program. And, and yeah, it would be nice if, if Garcia could get legitimate reps. But I just, I just don't see a scenario where you're going to take out Holton Aylers, who's playing at the highest level of his career, and just insert Garcia just to get him some live reps. Um, And I get why people want to do it. It's a legitimate claim. It's a legitimate point. Do you want Mason Garcia just to go in there, you know, as as, uh, as green as grass as far as live playing time on the road in his first real collegiate start, you know, not counting the COVID year? No, that that would not be ideal, but it's kind of the situation you're in unless you just want to go by what would not be going by the book and and put him in over your senior quarterback here in these last few games. Now, if you if you script the drive against Temple, let's say you win the Houston game and you're just like, hey, let's script the drive or two in the second quarter for Mason to go in and run the offense. You know, that's something I would be – I'd be in favor of. Are they going to do it is the question. I would lean towards probably not. Because really, if you got seven wins at that point, sure, it'd be great to get eight. But it's not like it's a must win for the program. I mean, you're not changing your program with that win. Um, but it's, it's all on how the coaches want to play. And, and, and judging by Mike Houston's response this week, you know, he's going to play to win the game. And I think that means Holton Aylers is going to be in at quarterback. Now, if Holton gets dinged up, no need to put him through any further pain. You know, I'm talking about like seriously hurt where he's having to play through something crazy. Um, then maybe you put in Mason a series or two. 
give Holton a breather or just take him out the rest of the game if he gets hurt. But uh, I just have a hard time seeing them pulling Holton, especially on senior day this weekend. Maybe at Temple you see a series or two. But, again, just kind of doubt it. So um, we'll see We'll see how it transpires, though. At least they can play him as needed or as they want. He's got the red shirt. He'll be, he'll be a red shirt sophomore starting next year, regardless of how that all plays out. Um, as far as what have I seen from the, I, I think he's going to be the starter next year. I just, I don't know if you bring in a transfer to compete with him just to add some experience as a precaution. You know, there's a fine line there because you don't want to scare Mason into thinking you don't believe in him, but you also want that, you want that precautionary thing too. I mean, you don't want to just have a couple of inexperienced guys behind them in case things don't go well with Mason. So as a coaching staff, you've got to do your service to the to the program and always put them in, put the program in the best position to succeed, and that might be bringing in a transfer to compete with Mason. But then if you bring in a transfer, you also don't want to tell the transfer, hey, you're just coming in to be the backup. So I know they really like Mason. I know he's going to have to grow a lot. Next year, in games, he's as talented physically as any quarterback that's come through here. But it's going to take some time for him to get it mentally. And that's going to be going through the games. I mean, every quarterback grows from game experience. He's he's not going to be any different. So there will be growing pains, but I do think his ceiling is extremely high. And I think barring something unforeseen, he will be the guy next year. All right, our next question comes from Brooks. He says, how do you think the Power Six narrative We'll shift next season with teams in big markets like UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati officially becoming Power 5. In my opinion, it feels like the last year of Conference USA all over again. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. The Americans still going to push the Power 6 narrative. That's what they do. You know, they were kind of laughed at at first for pushing it, but you definitely have to say, in a way, it kind of made a difference, even though they didn't become part of the Power 5 in name or in inclusion, whatever, however, because it's not a real thing. Power six is just kind of a power five is kind of a made up term to describe the quote unquote, bigger conferences, the the teams that are making more money. But the American also did separate itself from the rest of the leagues, Mac, Sunbelt, etc., because they're making more money than those, than those conferences by a wide margin. So it's almost like the American, even with these new teams coming in, Money-wise, there's not going to be a drop-off in terms of revenue for those teams. The TV contract's locked in. So, in reality, it still is a Power 6, or it still is the American above all the others in terms of monetary value, just like the other conferences are ahead of the American of monetary value. So, just because the teams change doesn't mean that will change, at least in the, the short term while the contract isn't agreed to. And so... They're still going to push it, and who's to say once some of these programs like UTSA, like North Texas, once they start getting more TV revenue, who's to say they don't just pump a ton of money back into their their school, their athletic department, just like Houston, just like UCF and Cincinnati did, and and, and they don't take off. I mean, that's a, that's a viable possibility. That's why people who continue to look at these teams – like it's the old Conference USA, I, I, I just warn you, don't take these teams for granted. Yes, ECU has a head start on them, but you, there's a good chance you see some of these programs take off in the coming years. I think UTSA 
is a viable possibility. UAB now with an on-campus stadium, certainly capable. Both those programs are already playing good football. Um, personally, don't think Rice is going to be that team, but I could see a school like a North Texas or one of those programs in a in a in a great area um, with with access to talent and money. I could see some of those teams potentially, you know, making that move. FAU has already grown a lot in Conference USA. Now they're going to have access to more funds. So ECU's got to continue to invest and to separate itself from the rest of the league with its results, especially in football and, and putting forth a a better uh, better product in men's basketball. So I think you'll continue to see the Power 6 narrative pushed by the American to answer your question. All right, uh, uh, Jay says, as these schools leave for the Big 12, is there any chance they end up on a future schedule? We have certainly had fan interest in all three. We have openings to fill in 25. 26, 28, 29, 2030, 2031. Any other schedule rumors? He asks. You know, not a ton right now on the scheduling front, Jay. I, I, and I don't know for sure if there have been discussions with these programs. I want to say I heard that there had been some light talk with UCF, but nothing official. You know, I would love to see. I would love to see a potential continued series with UCF or, or Cincinnati Houston with it being so far away I don't really have a ton of interest in that um, but you know a continued non-conference series with UCF or just a one-off home and home every now and then with Cincinnati I'd be completely in line with that I don't know how those schools feel about it I don't know how John Gilbert feels about it that could be a good question for um, for John Gilbert next time we have him on the podcast but you know scheduling right now as it often is in season, kind of quiet. I feel like that stuff usually breaks more off season. So uh, we'll ask John next time we get him on the podcast, Jay. But certainly a good idea to have maybe a a talk with UCF. A lot of it, of course, depends on how many conference games is the Big Twelve going to go to. I don't know off the top of my head. So certain opportunities there um, in the coming years for sure because ECU's got to schedule somebody especially starting in the late 2020s into 2030. All right, let's take a quick break. We got more questions about Houston. We also got some other questions as well. Uh, we'll be right back on the Hoist the Colors podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. Got a couple more Mason Garcia questions from Atticus and Dan. He says... uh, 
he, basically both these guys are asking when will we see Mason? Will it be exclusively in the red zone? I think it will be mainly in the red zone, Atticus, short yardage situations. And then Dan asked if there will be any scripted series. And I just don't see that, at least this weekend, uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. So we'll see. Um, all right, our next question comes from Adam. He says, cannot help but wonder after strong wins against UCF, BYU, outplaying Cincinnati and Houston on deck that we played well last year. If Ruffin isn't fired, is ECU currently on its way to the Big 12? He says, in parentheses, I know hoops plays a role. Also, does recruiting become more difficult in the weekend American going forward? Um, Recruiting-wise, at least in the, in the initial years, I don't think it makes a huge difference. You're not recruiting against Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati a ton. Maybe some. Um, and, you know... ECU typically wins over the rest of the American as it is if they are going head-to-head with any of those guys. And I still think you're going to get primarily the same level of recruit regardless of if it's the strong American or the weakened American. I do know that, again, ECU is still going to be on TV a lot with the American. Whatever iteration it is, they're going to be on TV on Saturdays a lot more than the Sun Belt, a lot more than the MAC, et cetera. So, the perception of the league being the American is still a strong one. We'll see if that holds five, ten years from now. But at least in the short term, it will still have a good uh, a good feel to it. Um, as far as Ruff being fired, sadly we'll never know. I do think that the program did not take a nosedive in the most crucial time of conference realignment. Certainly the, the possibility could be there that ECU could be on the way to the Big 12. But we'll never know. It's uh, it's a shame that it it happened like that. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, it's just it is what it is. Perhaps ECU would have still been passed over due to its market size. But I have a feeling that if ECU was competitive and in contention for conference championships, like we saw UCF and some of these other programs do. Over the past 10 years, I think that they very very well would have been in the mix. Now, if they would have gotten an invite or not, who knows. But they would have at least been in the discussion. They weren't even in the discussion in the last go-round. So, that's the issue you create when you nosedive your program and you give people a reason to pass you over. All right, Chris says, in the preseason, Houston's defense was expected to be pretty good. What happened to them seems their defense has fallen off significantly. Biggest thing, Chris, is injuries. Uh, they have played a ton of young guys in the secondary because their their guys have been in and out basically all year. Like they've been playing a number of freshmen, whether it be nickel or outside corner. Uh, they're still pretty good at safety, but they they've even had to mix in some young guys there. And so the biggest thing is the drop off in the secondary, and then the injuries. Their linebacker play has been pretty poor. At times, and up front, they're still really good, but they lost, again, they lost Derek Parrish to a, to a season-ending injury after four games, and he had already had six sacks, which is well above what any ECU player has at this time. So that kind of gives you a perspective how good of a season and how much of a matchup problem he was off the edge. So injuries, underperforming um, in some respects, but but definitely injuries have been the main culprit. And... Um, you know, defensively, they have taken a hit as a result. Redbeard asks, in your opinion, will Mike Houston be the ECU head coach when the Pirates kick off at Michigan next season? 
I say yes. Uh, you know, there's a, some stuff out there about Georgia Tech. I'm sure Georgia Tech is interested. Whether Mike Houston listens to that or not, I don't know. I personally don't see Georgia Tech being at the right fit for him. Could be wrong, but I just I don't know. I think that's a hard job. Um, I think he could win here next year and, and get an even better job. You know, with this conference getting weaker, I think he's got a chance to rack up some wins at East Carolina and really get the job he wants to get. The one that would worry me if I'm ECU is West Virginia. I think West Virginia is a better fit for Mike Houston, football first culture, really proud fan base, you know, similar to schools like East Carolina, Virginia Tech in some ways, and, you know, in this region where it's like football above all else. And so... I think uh, I think West Virginia, if, if that opening there happens with the new AD, that would that would scare me more than Georgia Tech. But I, I lean towards him being the head coach at ECU next year. I still think he's got a chance to win a conference championship in the near future and then really capitalize on a potential coaching move. All right, Houston's offense is very good. Judge asks, can we limit them? Feel like we need to run the ball well on offense and play keep away from tune. Feels like a letdown game for ECU after so many tight games in a row. I hope not. I don't. I don't think this is a letdown game for ECU. Primarily from the standpoint of it's Senior Day, guys are going to be uh, guys are going to be fired up. They're going to be wanting to win for this Senior Day. If it wasn't Senior Day, I'd be a little worried. Otherwise, I don't think this is a letdown game for ECU. I just think they're going to have to score points. Houston's going to score points. I think ECU is going to have to score points. The biggest thing for me is they can't turn the football over. You can't give Toon and company extra possessions. Ideally, you'd like to operate with a similar game plan to UCF, take up drives or take up time with long, sustained drives. But it's easier said than done. Houston's given up some big plays this year. And so if you have the chance for big plays, you try and hit them. But, uh, We'll see what happens. I think there are going to be a lot of points scored either way. Pirate Treasure asks, based on the offense, will both teams hit the 40-point mark? I think both teams, unlikely, but possible. I think at least one will, and I think the team that hits 40 will win. He also asks, who is expected to be out for Houston and ECU? Are CJ and Keaton Mitchell on short lease health-wise or unrestricted? You know, I mean, they've been cleared, so they're good to go. And, you know, they may play it safe with both of those guys, but, you know, since they've been cleared, you let them go. I mean, CJ was evaluated thoroughly in the hospital. I think it was a stinger situation. Um, And then Keaton, with the hit to the head, I I think they've been splitting his reps with Marlon or Rajay all year. I think that will continue. As far as who who else is out for ECU, you haven't seen anybody else out at practice this week. Houston's got some guys out defensively that have been out for a while in the secondary and on defense. So, you know, they're they're pretty banged up. But that's what happens when you get late in the season. Guys get banged up. All right, James asks, with Houston giving up 113 points in the last two games, what is the key for the ECU offense to have a big game on Saturday? Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but can't turn the football over, can't give them extra possessions, and – the biggest thing for me, though, from an execution standpoint, is you got to give Holden Aylers time. We mentioned it. This is one of the top pass rushers in college football. They've got serious guys off the edge. They get good push up the middle. So you may have to get rid of the ball a little quick, take some underneath stuff, um, but don't want to hold on to the ball too long, and you're going to have to chip probably um, number 44, DeAnthony Jones, as much as possible just to slow him down off the edge because he is a problem. 
He's a big dude, and they'll stand him up at 6'2", 270 off the edge. Really good player that ECU is 100% going to have to be aware of. Uh, Justin Beaver, Beaver, not Beaver, he asked, is ECU the play in Vegas, minus six? Uh, I learned a long time ago, never bet on ECU athletic events, so that is my only advice to you, Justin. Don't do it. Find another team to bet on. Um, That's all I got for you. I would never lay money on the Pirates for or against, to be honest. I'll give my prediction at the end of the show, but I'm never really confident in my prediction, uh, to be completely honest. Sports are crazy. All right, Holden says, Josiah Hatfield's season has been a disappointment this year. Do you see him being more involved next year, or does he get lost in the shuffle again? Uh, Josiah Hatfield, for me, has reached a point where, yeah, I mean, I think he is who he is. This is his fourth year. He's shown flashes of big plays, but has not been consistent enough as a route runner and getting off the line of scrimmage to to prove to me that he is a you know a highly productive college receiver. I think he's a big play threat that will have his plays every now and then, but outside of that, I think that's who he is. And I would love for him to prove me wrong, but this is year four. We've kind of seen the same thing for a while now, and and you know time will tell. He's still got another year of eligibility. I hope he comes back, and I hope he has a great offseason. But, you know, that's just that's what we've seen. That's the sample size we've seen four years in. Uh, number two, who's got the best shot to get drafted out of the guys we know are graduating slash leaving? Uh, good question here. I would say uh, probably Ryan Jones, the tight end. I think he's got a shot to get drafted with a really good testing day, really athletic tight end. The only thing that's hurting him is his height. You know, he doesn't have prototypical tight end height for the NFL, but those guys have been getting worked in more and more over the last several years. And so we'll see. Uh, You know, Avery Jones, he's going to walk on senior day. If he ends up going, I think he's got a shot to be a late-round pick or an undrafted free agent. I do think he could return at about 10, 15 pounds and get drafted next year. I think he's playing a little light right now for an NFL offensive lineman, even as an NFL center. But, you know, we'll see what his decision is after the season. I could see Noah Henderson getting a look at offensive tackle. I don't know if he'll get drafted due to some of his back concerns over the course of his college career. I think Holton will get a look for the, the same reasons. May not get drafted because of his medicals. But, again, been highly productive, smart quarterback. So, I think you're going to have several guys who end up signing undrafted free agent deals I just I wonder if any of them will get drafted but certainly there are some candidates there and with strong pro days you can uh you can certainly get there uh and he also asked does Marlon Gunn finally score on Saturday yeah Marlon Gunn yet to find the end zone as a pirate despite many carries many close calls I'm gonna say he finds it I think I think he finds it holding on Saturday and I'm gonna go Marlon Gunn scores his first collegiate touchdown in a pirate uniform. All right, Jack Dover says, in Dana Holgerson's postgame presser, can you or one of your minions drop off a couple of cans of food for Dana and his team? That would be uh, that would be something else, Jack. I would love that. I might get punched in the face by Dana Holgerson, especially if they lose. It might be worth it, though, so I may have to consider that. Uh, Sky Weather says, can we address 
throwing short of the sticks on third down quite a bit lately. It seems to be the first look as well. So I've noticed that a lot versus Cincinnati. And, you know, two things about it. One, sometimes the defense makes a really good call against your offense. And if the guys at the sticks or past the sticks are covered – you know, the only option might be to hit the underneath guy. I hope he misses a tackle and hope he gets upfield for first down. ECU tried that several times against Cincinnati. You had some cases where two, maybe Holton, either misread the defense or they just had a nice call causing some confusion. They were mixing up coverages quite a bit early on. And the other thing, too, is like they were getting pressure with a three- or four-man rush. And if you're Holton, you can't sit there and allow your guys who are running 10, 15, 20-yard routes to maybe have a chance to get out of their break because you got rid of the football and avoid – you got to get rid of the football. You got to avoid the negative play. You got to avoid a potential turnover. So just in a lot of those cases, those were the plays that were open. And there were others – you know, I'm sure there was a play or two where maybe he missed an open guy, but it's it's a lot easier said than done – if you're not looking at that one guy as soon as he's coming open on a route, or if you're trying to figure out exactly what coverage the defense is running, you may miss the guy, flash open for a second, and if you can't deliver the football at that point, sometimes you got to take the crosser. You know, ECU ran a lot of crossing routes. Cincinnati was playing a lot of tight man. You try to do that to get the guy maybe on a rub, or you try to get some separation on the crossing uh, pattern. A couple cases it worked. The guy was able to get upfield for a big play. Other times, the linebacker or safety, you know, whether it be a robber coverage from the linebacker or one high safety would come up and make the tackle. Uh, Cincinnati did a lot of grabbing, a lot of aggressive coverage on the perimeter, which meant oftentimes a lot of those plays across the middle were the ones that were open. And at that point, it just comes down to making a guy miss trying to get get to the stick. So I thought that... It, 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 it's not like the play is always designed to go short of the sticks. That's just one of the reads that Holton has available to him. If nobody's open downfield, you're better off throwing to that guy if pressure is getting on you rather than just taking a sack or throwing it out of bounds. At least you're getting some positive yardage. So, again, every play design typically has a short route, a medium route, a long route. Certainly you can run like four verticals or something like that or different types of routes downfield, but – you have different options built in. It was throwing short of the sticks more so because of what Cincinnati was doing, more so than how ECU was designing plays or anything like that. So my take on it, I think you know, a lot of people just assume ECU's trying to throw short of the sticks. Like That's not, not always the goal, but sometimes that is the best play. Sometimes throwing short, getting positive yards, and punting is a positive play depending on the situation. Okay, we also had Colby ask, is there a dirty player from last year still on the team? Uh, I don't recall that. Maybe I'm just too – maybe I missed it or I'm too uh, blocked by Cincinnati's dirty play that I can't remember Houston's dirty play. But somebody refreshed my memory. He says, I don't remember the guy's name. I remember he was trying to start fights with our player last year. If that's the case, somebody help me out there, but I don't don't know – uh, I do know Houston returned a lot of personnel, but also lost some key guys. So we'll see, I guess. All right, final question of the podcast comes from Barstool ECU. And it's a pretty simple one. Are we going to win is the question. 
And that is a very fitting question because that brings us to our prediction time on the Hoist of Colors podcast. And, I, you know, I've picked against ECU a lot lately. The reverse jinx did not work against Cincinnati despite it almost working yet again. ECU, of course, coming just a few points shy, a play shy of beating the Bearcats and ending their 31-game home winning streak. But since the reverse jinx is over, I'm going to go back to picking the Pirates. Uh, I think this is a good spot for them. Houston on the road. You know, they've been okay on the road this year, but not great. Um, I think ECU is going to play inspired football for its senior class. This is a very important day for several members of the team. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I do think ECU will play a little bit better defense than people think, though. Uh, I'm going to go ECU wins the football game 42-34. to They win it by eight. They cover the spread. So, Justin, if you really want to know, maybe ECU minus six is the play. I still wouldn't do it if it were me. But I'm going to go ECU pulls off the victory. They put up some points. Holton Aylers goes out a winner and Daddy Ficklin. And it's a great night for the Pirates. But it should be a fun game. And I just want to say uh, this senior class, it's been a blast to cover them. It's always awesome to see these guys from their recruitment process through their time at ECU and see them grow into men from from teenagers. You know, The day they get offered, we talk to a lot of these guys as part of the 24-7 Sports Network and then Obviously, the transfers we get to know after they come to college and come to ECU, but it's always amazing to see the growth of the high school kids and of the transfers as well, just how much they love being at ECU and the family culture at ECU. It, it really is a special place, and guys like uh, Holton Aylers, Miles Berry, Gerard Stringer, Xavier Smith, you know, these people make it this way. Um, Noah Henderson. He's had a great career at ECU. He's going to move on. So many transfers. Ryan Jones, Aaron Jarman, Apri Washington, Chance Bates, Justin Red, Isaiah Winstead, Chandra Mims, Avery Jones, who's planning to walk, has a year of eligibility left remaining. We'll see what he, he decides to do. But he was a transfer as well a few years back. Went to North Carolina Ida High School. Really found a home at ECU. Uh, D'Angelo McKinney. Eastern North Carolina kid who's moved all around to several positions. Joe Sampson, a walk-on who's really given his all to this program. Ryan Jones, another transfer from a few years back who's really bought into to ECU and has become a productive offensive player after starting out on defense at Oklahoma. So just a really special senior class. So make sure you get into the stadium early, 30 minutes early, uh, which will be around 1.30 p.m. on Saturday. Recognize these guys. Give them the applause they deserve. Uh, just a, a really special group of men that have have poured a lot of put a lot of hours into this program and turn it around to, to getting it back to where the fans are proud of it once again, regardless of what happens this game, regardless of what happens down the stretch. These guys go out winners uh, in my book. And so uh, extremely proud of them. Uh, great pirates and uh, be sure to recognize them on Saturday prior to the game against Houston. All right, that'll do it for the Hoisty Colors podcast. Thank you guys for the questions. We had a ton of them. We'll be back with you after the game, hopefully discussing a pirate victory. Either way, we'll be breaking it down. You've been listening to the Hoisty Colors podcast. Enjoy your final game day 
in Greenville of on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.